Uh, Well, before we come to God's Word, let me pray again. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for these words of 1 Thessalonians. We thank you that they are a word not just for when they are written, but for us today. Please give us ears to hear and hearts to obey. In Jesus' name, Amen. Would you turn back to 1 Thessalonians 4? Now, time, time matters to us, doesn't it? Uh, we want our lives to be time well spent. You know, it's like heading to the shops with a £20 note. You want, you want to come back with your hands full of, of good stuff. We want a, a life well lived. And, and so we sit and, and wonder sometimes, well, what is God's will for my life? You know, what, is, what does he want me to be up to? What does he want me to be spending my valuable time on? And as we sit with our our head in our our thoughtful hands, we start to dream. We want something to really work on. Something to get our teeth into. Something to give our energy to. Something to help the church grow. Something to bring great glory to God. And we dream, Lord, Lord, what shall I do? And then... In the quiet, the words of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, lie before us. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, your holiness, your godly living, your, your ethics, the way your life is lived in every moment, when you wake up. When you make breakfast, when you wash up, when you listen to music, when you speak to a friend, when you read your Bible, when you're at church, God's will for you is holy words, holy thoughts, holy actions. God's saying, you know, my grand will for your life, what I want for you over the next one, two, five, twenty, forty years is this, that you would become more and more holy. More and more like Jesus Christ, my son. More and more in my image. More and more changed by the Holy Spirit. That's a life well spent. It's not an optional extra. It's not a, uh, an option. Holiness isn't an optional bolt on, like a hundred extra free minutes. It's, it's what our lives are to be lived for. And it's not just that we have to, it's that we get to. It's so good, it even pleases God himself. Well, phew, I mean, that's not always the answer we're looking for, is it? You know, we live in a world of doing, of skill, understanding, not of character and virtue. You know, we we comment on how, how intelligent people are, what job they do. You know, rarely is godliness front and center. But no, God's will is our sanctification. Our growth in holiness. 
you know, holiness. It's, it's not an idea we talk about enough, probably, but here in 1 Thessalonians, it's what Paul turns his attention to. You know, in these first three chapters of, uh, of 1 Thessalonians, he spoke about their faith, about his ministry to them, and his, his desire to get to them. And now in chapter 4, he begins to engage with some of the issues that have arisen in the church. You know, perhaps he, he heard about them from Timothy. And he addresses two issues with us tonight. Sexual purity and family love. Uh, so, so if, if growing in holiness is God's will, if it's good, if it's not an optional extra, then this passage has two questions for us. One, are you striving to grow in sexual holiness? Two, are you striving to grow in your love for your brothers and sisters? So firstly, are you striving to grow in sexual holiness? This is an area of life that is probably one of the besetting sins of the church in our generation, isn't it? You know, some of us tonight will need a kick to actually take it seriously. And some of us will be at the opposite end, desperate with the ongoing sexual sin in their lives. Some of us will have deep pain due to others' sexual sin. And some of us will have caused a lot of pain. But I pray that God will work deeply in our lives, changing us to be more sexually pure. And please, as I preach, don't think I stand here as a perfect example of sexual purity. Far from it. I've had struggles and difficulties along the way too. I've given in temptation in different ways and I've had to come back to God's forgiveness again and again and again. So we... We all come to this teaching as sick sinners who need God's word by his spirit to transform us, don't we? And so, what is God's command? Verse 3, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honour. Abstain from sexual immorality. They're they're words that no one in our society would use, are they? They stand out like a high-vis jacket on a dark night. Abstain, certainly not. Uh, Sexual immorality, well, non-consensual sex is probably the only line that our society draws, isn't it? That's about it. But here, Paul's word for sexual immorality is actually much broader. It's much bigger than just non-consensual sex. It includes, includes that, but it's a word that is anything outside a monogamous, heterosexual public marriage. So, so sexual immorality will include prostitution, adultery, fornication, that's sex before marriage, and homosexuality. Um, one writer helpfully put it like this. He said it's, it's anything that you'd be furious or heartbroken if you found someone doing it with your husband or wife. Okay, that's, that's sexual immorality. And I, kn- I know this is controversial in our society. Uh, but it's right here from Paul teaching us. Paul's saying, don't engage in any kind of sexual act with someone whom you're not married to. And it, that includes those of you who are going out with someone or engaged to someone. We need to remember we're not married until we're married. So if you wouldn't want your future spouse to be uh, snogging someone when you're, when you're married to them, uh, then perhaps you shouldn't be snogging them now. 
And this abstaining and controlling is, is of both our body and our heart. Do you notice verse 4? That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honour. So there we see his body. And then not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles. Not in the passion of lust. In other words, our hearts, our motives, our inner desires are involved. So that means sexual impurity includes our desires to do uh, what is sexually immoral. So that includes sexual acts on our own as well, like looking at pornography, reading explicit books, masturbation linked to them. And these are issues for men and women. You know, one survey in the States found that over 60 per- 60% of men who went to church were looking at porn at least once a month, and one in seven women. Okay, if that stat is true for us, that's a lot of us in here. And even if it's not porn, a lot of us will be okay with seeing sex acted in a film. These are issues we have to engage with uh, and talk about and we bring to the Lord. And Paul gives us two strong commands, to abstain in verse 3 and then to know how to control in verse 4. Sexual immorality is not something we cuddle up to. It's not something we try out or try and do to be like the world. No, it's, it's something we're to avoid like the plague. We're to run away from, to abstain. This is about complete self-control. I, I know this is hard-hitting. And some of us may be struggling with this teaching. So to, so to help us, it's important to see this idea of self-control is rooted in an idea that Paul gave us right back in chapter 1. Firstly, it's important to remember he's speaking to Christians, those who are saved, those who trust in Jesus Christ to save them. Self-control is not a way of earning salvation, of reaching God, but instead it's the symptom of a life lived as a Christian. And back in chapter 1, at the end of the chapter, Paul gave us a summary of what it meant for someone to be a, a Christian, what faith, true faith looked like. And Paul uses a really important word. If you just have a look back at 1 verse 9. Chapter 1 verse 9. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. It's that word there, to serve. The Christian life is one of service. We're servants. Now, that's a striking way of thinking about ourselves, isn't it? You know, like a, like a servant in a big house. We do what the owner requires. When they ask for something, we aim to do it. We're beholden to them. And we do what, we, what they want, not we want. And, and Christians, we're, we're God's servants. You know, in a sense, I serve at the pleasure of the living and true God. We're his. And so our lives are under his loving commands. And when he tells us to do something as his servants, we seek to fulfill the duty he calls us to. And the thing about service is it requires two really important things. Service requires, firstly, self-control, and secondly, it requires trust. Excuse me, sorry. If you serve as a waiter, waiter at a table, um, you control what you do, don't you? Some of you may have been waiters 
uh, at a time. You wait for people to finish their food before you kind of whisk it away. It'd be a bit awkward if you didn't. You know, you control your urge to jump into the conversation that people are having at the table. Uh, you control the desire to give them the food you like, you know, pizza rather than pasta. There's self-restraint. Service requires control. And that means our bodies are controlled in the service of God. Back in chapter 4 and verse 7, For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. He's called us in holiness. Our whole life, our whole body. And so if we're not married, our bodies, our desires are controlled for his service. And so, so aren't engaged in sex, aren't lusting after it. And if we are married, our bodies and desires are controlled for his service. And so do engage in sex in the marriage bed only and not lusting after it. As one writer puts it, marriage is sex in the service of God. Service requires control. And the second thing service requires is trust. It requires trust. Again, if serving in a, in a job, we, we have to trust our boss, don't we? We trust that their rules will make things work, that our service will bring good results. So we control ourselves in the service of our master. And we trust our God, don't we? Our heavenly father who loves us, who sent his son to deliver us. But our, our world says the opposite. Our world says the one to trust is yourself. You know best. But saying that, that assumes we do know what is good, what is right to do with our body. You know, that assumes I understand sexuality, that I understand what can hurt me and what can hurt others. That assumes that I understand actually the power of sex, the right context for it. It assumes I know best. We trust me, and so I become the idol. I want sexual pleasure, therefore I know how best to get it. But the Bible teaches us we don't know what's best. It teaches us that our sin has utterly corrupted us in our emotions, in our will, in our desires, and especially our sexual desires. And most of the time, when left to ourselves, we choose what is actually most self-destructive. But God, our creator, knows best. He's the trustworthy one. He's our loving, heavenly father. And so we're not servants of me, but we serve God in control and in trust. And, and God has planned it actually so that as we serve him, we really do serve others. We love and care for them. Just have a look at verse 4. Do you notice that? Each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honour. It's honourable. In other words, it's good for others around you. It's honourable. Verse 6. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Sexual purity cares for and loves our brother and sister. Again, we live in a society that says sexual freedom is good for us. But we don't need to look very far to see the horrific impacts it's having. Our families have disintegrated. Do you know 15-year-olds are more likely to have a smartphone than a dad? Kids can suffer being stuck between manipulative parents. Adultery rips families apart. 
and separates children. And, and you having sex with someone before marriage, that has impacts on the community around you, has impacts on the person's future marriage. And the normalisation that we are seeing in our society of pornography is just reaping havoc. There was an article back in December on the BBC News about women complaining, well not complaining in a positive way, they're complaining that they're experiencing more and more sexual violence from their partners. Why? Because men were copying stuff they'd seen online. What happens online isn't just you on your own. It has an impact on the women and the men you're watching. Those people have friends and brothers and children. It impacts on us how we sexualize and objectify people in our brains. Sexual immorality transgresses and wrongs others. Instead, sexual holiness serves others. It's loving. So I ask you, are you striving to grow in sexual holiness? Are you striving to serve God with control and trust? <coughs> now, for anything like me, you know, you know all this, but still the struggles are there. Sexual sin just keeps coming back. There's, these are strong desires to control, aren't they? But remember, Paul's main aim is to encourage these Christians, to encourage them to grow, to be more and more sexually pure. He knows they won't be perfect. We know that because he said to do this more and more. It's a process, isn't it, with ups and downs, but one where slowly God works to change us. Because in a sense, God's put his money where his mouth is. Verse 8, he's given us his Holy Spirit. He's given us his Holy Spirit. He not only calls us, but he equips us. He not only tells us, but he empowers us and changes us from the inside out. So we look to him for our change. So if this evening you're in the midst of the battle for holiness, I don't know, perhaps, perhaps you're fighting adulterous desires and so you're stopping communication outside of work with an attractive colleague, Perhaps you're fighting lustful desires and you're, you're deleting your Instagram account so you don't find yourself looking at sexual pictures. Perhaps you're fighting homosexual desires. Perhaps you're praying more and more for self-control. No, this is God's Spirit working in you. Be encouraged. Keep going. Breakthroughs do happen. This won't necessarily be a sin that will plague your whole life. But Paul doesn't just give us the carrot here. He also gives us the stick. And to put it simply, he is saying, if there's no striving for sexual purity in your life, then it's likely you're not a Christian. Stark, isn't it? Verse 5. Not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. In other words, it... If your sexual life is characterised by the passion of lust, then we're like those who don't know God. Then verse 6, he warns of the coming judgment through Christ. Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. If sexual immorality is normal in our life, judgment from Christ awaits. And then he's very clear, verse 8, Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man 
but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. If you don't care about sexual purity, then you've rejected God himself and no salvation waits for you. Are you striving to grow in sexual holiness? If not, hear the warning. Holiness is not an option. It's God's will for your life. Take your sexual sin by the scruff of the neck and fight it. First thing is to admit it. Probably the hardest thing, but admit it to God. Seek his forgiveness. But if you can, admit it to someone else. Bring it into the light. Take it to a close friend. Get support. You will not be the only one struggling in this area. We are a church full of sinners. But talk to someone. Talk to someone who, you can, who can ask you how you're doing. Who can pray with you. Who can help bring the gospel to bear uh, on your sinful desires. Because our hearts are a mess of idols, aren't they? And perhaps you know, personal pleasure or, or control or security. And talking it through just helps, helps to put your finger on it. And helps uh, to see what's going on below the surface. And just imagine, just imagine if we... Uh, more and more became a church that was striving to grow in sexual purity. You know, where, where people felt safe to share struggles were on the path of growth. Where, where people of the opposite sex were always treated with dignity and respect. Where no one felt uncomfortable or objectified. Where marriages were secure and children cared for. Where those crushed by the pressures of the world could find hope. Are we striving to help each other? To grow in sexual holiness. That was firstly. And secondly, and more briefly, verses 9 to 12, are we striving to grow in our love for brothers and sisters? Are we striving to grow in our love for our brothers and sisters? Because now in verse 9, Paul takes a slightly different tack. See that just beginning with now concerning. Although he's considered love for each other in what he said about sex, he now makes it his focus. And the Thessalonian church are doing well in this, aren't they? They have a great love for one another. Uh, and this is much uh, wider than just the local church. If you notice in verse 10 there, they're loving uh, the brothers throughout Macedonia. It's a beautiful picture of a family working at its best. Because Paul's been using that language of family throughout the letter and for good reason. Not only are they the family of God in identity, but they're acting like one. Loving and caring for each other. Because being family comes with responsibilities, doesn't it? It's my duty and my joy to care for my children. To love them is to look after them. To make sure they have enough food. To make sure they're learning how to, to live well in the world. Now, no family is perfect, is it? We all have our our utter failures, our big meltdowns and fights. But the thing about a family is you can't pick and choose it. Once your family, always your family. So we stick together, we forgive, we rebuild, we love one another. I didn't choose to be your brother and you didn't choose to have me as your brother. You're stuck with me, I'm stuck with you in a good way. But are you striving to grow in love for your brothers and sisters. When you come on a Sunday, are you hoping just to get? Are you hoping to give in friendship and love? Sometimes I just have to, have to take a moment before I come into church 
it's been a busy morning, jobs have been done, kids are out the door, and I, and I can get to the door of church and I just have to take a breath and remember I'm, he- I'm here to worship God and I'm here to serve and love my brothers and sisters. And then I can, can push open the door and go in. Perhaps have a think, you know, who do you, who do you chat to? You know, some of us are great at talking to the newcomer, but let's all be working at it. Let's not just be looking out for the friends we already have, but, but try to talk to those you don't know. It can be hard, but it can make the world of difference to someone who's lonely or new. Get them round to lunch, go out for a drink with them. Me and my family have been bowled over by the welcome we've received over the past few months here. The care, the love for us, the help with food, the offer to, to help when the babies arrive. Keep going in your love for brothers and sisters. Do so more and more and more. And Paul in these, these few verses zeroes in on something specific that perhaps wasn't going as well as it should have been. Have a look at verse 11. And he continues, And to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so you may live properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Now, the the thing about people being kind and looking after each other is there's a great temptation uh, to freeload, isn't there? To use other people's kindness to get along quite nicely. But here, Paul makes sure that does not happen. Loving one another means you sort out actually your own affairs. You work hard to pay your own bills, you get a job, you learn to drive, you start acting like an adult, you take responsibility for yourself. You know, this means you're not dependent on others. It's part of our love, isn't it? Not to use and abuse others' kindness. Now, there's a tricky line to walk, I know. Okay, this is not saying if you're in need, um, then don't ask for help. Okay, I'm not saying that, please. We want to be a church that helps each other, don't we? That's why we have deacons to specifically help, help us help each other. You know, if you are struggling financially, if you need help with food or with moving or being lonely, please, please ask for help. We hope and pray we're a church who loves one another more and more, who strives to grow in holiness. But but this is also a tricky one for some students. You know, you guys are relying on the state and parental help. You're dependent on them to live, to complete your studies. Remember, that's a season, okay? Don't abuse it. Your parents are funding you to study. But education is an important step in the job market, so it's, it's for a time. But as you do, learn to look after yourselves, so that when you're alone in the workplace, you can be an adult and not depend But if you do depend on people a lot, always asking for help, for extra things, for lifts, for money, ask yourself, are you in continuing need because of things that are out of your control or could you do something about it? Could you get up earlier? Could you work harder? Could you take some control of your life? Because doing that is an act of love, isn't it? It frees up your brothers and sisters to love others. And it gives you the capacity then to give, to give to others who are in need. Are are we striving to grow in love for our brothers and sisters? 
as those saved by God, adopted in Christ into his family, we, we live lives that honour and look after each other. That means our sex life is controlled and expressed within a marriage, and it means we seek to do good, not to be dependent on each other, but generously giving. And in God's strength, by his Holy Spirit, we encourage each other to do this more and more. That's God's will for our lives. Amen. Let me pray before we sing. Our Heavenly Father, we, we praise you and thank you for these words. But especially in our culture at the moment, these are hard words. And knowing in our own hearts, they challenge us. They can cut deep. So Father, we praise you and thank you for your spirit. We praise you and thank you for the forgiveness in Christ. Please stir us up. May we grow more and more in holiness. Not for our sakes, but for your glory and for the good of one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.